I'm Travis Bader, and this is the Silver Core Podcast. Join me as I discuss matters related to hunting, fishing, and outdoor pursuits with the people and businesses that comprise the community. If you're new to Silvercore, be sure to check out our website, www.silvercore.ca, where you can learn more about courses, services, and products that we offer, as well as how you can join the Silvercore Club, which includes $10 million in North America-wide liability insurance to ensure you are properly covered during your outdoor adventures. In this episode, I speak with Jenny Lee, who, through the week, is an account executive for a Vancouver-based IT company, and on her time off is a hunter, a regional leader of the backcountry hunters and anglers, and the owner of the Chasing Food Club. We speak about her journey of getting into hunting as an urban Vancouverite, the role Eagle plays in the process, social media's impact on hunting, thoughts on the term huntress, her adventures in goat testicles, and much more. Welcome, Jenny. Hey, Travis. Thank you for having me on the Silvercore podcast. I'm excited to swap some stories with you, and hopefully we provide a chuckle or two for folks at home right now. Oh, I don't think that's going to be a problem. <laughs> I have been following you on Instagram. I've been watching you as you've been growing the Chasing Food Club, and I've been watching your journey as you have been growing as a hunter. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got into hunting? What what sparked your curiosity? Oh, boy. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. There should be a warning label. I hope there is on your courses. <laughs> <laughs> Caution may cause large expenditures. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Um, hunting started out, I guess, as a curiosity into wild game, what wild game would taste like. At that time, I was working for a food tech company and we built software to sell food on. And so my love for food was encouraged and it became an obsession. You know, we always at the office discuss where food came from. And I think during that time, organic was finally becoming mainstream and becoming big. Sure. And so wild meats came up a lot. And actually, speaking of obsession, I just saw Tiffany, your wife's bacon game on Instagram a couple weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, you know, we've been making bacon for years and she's bringing it up to a completely different level. It's, oh, I, uh, I couldn't get over it. Okay. Sorry to detour on there. Hey, that just not, popped not into my mind. <laughs> not a problem. Have you made bacon before? No, I haven't. Not yet. Is that on your to-do list? There's a lot of things on my to-do list, but <laughs> I, I'll, I'll have plenty of time now. <laughs> No problem. Kind of fast forward that obsession, I decided I had kind of a pivotal moment in my life where I had that quarter life crisis a couple of years ago. And I realized my only goals were financial goals. Ah. And I wasn't too happy with where that was taking me. And I literally quit my job, moved into a new place and decided just to start over. And I and I really thought back to the things that got me excited as a child. I have this weird memory of a, of a child of flinging dirt in the sky and calling it mud fireworks. <laughs> and, and it was a bonus if you can fling, if you can catch a worm in the sky from the mud that you flung <laughs> up. And I had so much joy from that. And I was, I was like nine and 10. Yeah, this is pre YouTube days, kids pre YouTube yeah. days. And so I thought, hey, you know, this obsession with food, let's, I've always talked about wild game, let's go get some. 
I was a pretty independent person. I didn't know anybody that hunted and kind of got into it. And I realized that hunting quickly became a creative outlet because it stimulated all senses. Like I had no idea going into this. And mother nature kind of invokes things in you that give you the courage to do pretty crazy things. Yes. <laughs> uh, I failed high school, never finished college. And my grammar is actually pretty simple. It doesn't go beyond grade seven. When you say failed high school, what does that mean? I didn't graduate. And then I had to make it up for a couple okay. of years. So you didn't really <laughs> fail high school. You can fail high school, kids. Well, you Stay know, in school. another way to look at it is maybe high school failed you. Yeah, I, I realize, you know, I'm a creative person. I don't have a very long attention span, just like you. That's, just I think that's like what me. you shared with me. <laughs> yes. When we talked off air, yes, I've uh, got ADHD. Exactly, exactly. But being in the woods, watching these animals, it kind of moved me to start writing out of all things because I just had to find an outlet to share these experiences. And more importantly, throughout this journey, I've met some pretty cool people like yourself. And I noticed you recently did a podcast with Dylan from Eat Wild. He was one of my early mentors. And your wife, Tiffany, just sent me an amazing book of recommendations on foraging for spring. So I'm not just going out for spring bear. I'm going out with a salad to look for the salad that's going to go with my bear loins. Oh, that's fantastic. And all these cool stories I've learned from everybody, I just I just wanted to share them. And so that's where I am in my hunting journey. And that's how I started also blogging on Chasing Food Club because I had to just share. This was just so awesome of an experience. What made you just quit your job and move? Uh, I was I was pretty, I think I was pretty depressed. It was a high stress job. It was a um, tech mm. startup. We were extremely motivated by money. and. You know, I started off with my love of food, and that's why I worked for them. It, it just got lost. And and I was just like, you know, I'm just going to start fresh. I'm not going to lie. I also broke up with somebody around that time, too. Sure, <laughs> and sure. I just I was like, OK, well, since I'm moving out, I'm going to start a new job. I'm going to pivot my whole career. And, and I just wanted everything fresh. And it was the best thing that happened for me. It was the scariest. And I, I just wanted to challenge myself with something I've never done before. Like the phoenix from the ashes just rising up and you set your sights on <laughs> on hunting. <laughs> Pretty much. I needed, I just had so much energy and I needed something to distract me. And this was it. This was it. So I heard a story that you had a very interesting journey trying to find your way into hunting. And it started with Tinder. Is that correct? <laughs> Where did you hear that from? I actually watched your video. Ah, I slipped that joke in there. <laughs> you did. I figured well, it's safe to use. <laughs> yeah, I, um, well, I was single at the time. I didn't know any hunting, anybody that hunted. I actually didn't know hunting existed in BC till probably the year prior. I didn't know that was even possible to do. And I lived in the city. I didn't own a car. And so I came up with a strategy that on, since I'm, I'm about efficiency. Sure. <laughs> I was like, well, I like I'm that. going out on these dates. I might as well hit two birds with one stone and try to get some hunting knowledge from these dudes as well, too. So I swiped right on everybody that wore a camel. And it worked. <laughs> I made some pretty awesome friends real quick. Yeah. And dudes were, weren't offended when I friend zoned them and said, hey, but I'd love to talk to you about hunting. And I think everybody that hunts can agree that we just love to talk about hunting. 
with anybody at any time. <laughs> You've only been hunting for a very short period of time of your life. It's been what, three, four years now? Um, this is going to be my third spring berry season. In that very short period, you've had some pretty cool hunts as well. I've seen some pictures of a caribou hunt that you were on. <laughs> that was actually my first hunt. Your very first hunt. My very first hunt. I met some two dudes while taking my um, core course, or maybe it was the gun license. And we kind of teamed up and said, I was like, hey, I want to go into this full speed. And they were like, me too. And one of us got a draw for a limited entry caribou in the Itchas, and that hunt's now closed. So we were probably one of the last folks to pull a caribou from there on this LEH before they closed it down. Wow. It was pretty exciting. It was scary because I still remember the day before I listened to a podcast about the gutless method <laughs> how to butcher an animal. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna give this a go. Blind confidence played a big, big factor in the success of that trip because when you don't know, you don't know, and you just charge in with blind confidence and go with things. Yeah, that's not a bad point. Now, I, <laughs> I take it that out of the three of you, you guys had about the same level of hunting experience, didn't you? Yeah, all, it was all our first time trip. It was everybody's first time. And you just said, let's do a fly-in. Let's go for caribou. Yeah, it was a 10-day backpack, and it was pretty scary. I thought we were going to freeze to death at one point. Uh, we were very unprepared. As first-time hunters, I think all of us trekked in with the backpack about 60 pounds for Ooh. 10 days. Looking at that trip that you did, it was a successful hunt, 10 days out there in the field. What would you do differently? If you are to look back at past Jenny and give some future Jenny advice, what would you say? Oh, man. I, I know recently I was on the Rookie Hunter podcast and I shared a theory about the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's a comical graph that you can search up where it basically lets you know the more you know, you know, the less confident you are in what you're doing and it gets scarier. Right, yes, You kind exactly. of lose confidence. When you first start off with something, you're that idiot that nobody likes because they think they know everything and you're very... And so looking back on now, I've been like, I would have never gone on that hunt. I would have been like, don't do it. But, you know, the one advice I would have given myself was, Pack some gloves. I did not pack gloves. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and you're worried about freezing out there. No glove. Out of all, all honesty, we all turned out fine. Nothing dangerous happened. And so I think a lot of the fear put into us now is also, I don't know, these expectations. Like people, what what is the difference of a mountain hunt versus a flying hunt versus one you drive up to? You know, um, I think a lot of people hmm. just build up this fear and it's like, oh, I would never do that. But but truly, what is the difference? And also, a lot of people said we couldn't do it because we didn't have the correct gear and things of that sort. And so now two years in, I'm actually, I would have told myself not to become so worried about all that gear. You don't actually need an excessive amount of things. You need very, very bare bones minimum. And I don't want to, I don't want this to become a gear uh, episode on your podcast, Travis, but that that's definitely the advice I would give. You don't actually need a lot of the things that these industry hunters tell you you need. I couldn't agree more. You know, I like kit. I think a lot of people buy into seeing the new Gucci camo patterns, the new equipment. And there is something to be said for having equipment that'll work well, that's functional. But people have been hunting for a very long time with very minimal equipment 
very successfully. Yes. There's something very satisfying about being able to come home with some food, with some meat, without breaking the bank in order to do that and being able to use basic equipment and your own ingenuity to get there. Personally, I find that very satisfying. Yes. So you're talking about the Dunning-Kruger effect. Now, that's a cognitive bias of illusory superiority. I know this because I find that effect very interesting. It's something I've talked with my coworkers about. And you're right. Ah. The, the more you know, the more you know you don't know, if that makes sense, essentially. Exactly. Uh, that's what that is. Right. And it's uh, you can always spot out the people who are pretty rookie at something by how confident they come across and tell you how much they know. And it's always the people that are quiet and observant that I tend to gravitate towards because more often than not, they're either A, somebody who's paying attention and wanting to learn, or B, they've got something to say, but they're not bragging it up. And in the hunting world, you had mentioned something about uh, the demographic in Vancouver on a previous podcast you did, or the demographic, not necessarily Vancouver, the demographic in an urban area of uh, ego coming forth in hunting. Did I, did I catch mm -hmm. that correctly? Yeah, that was, that was also mentioned. Um, lessons from that just keep on coming. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say that's, that was probably the most challenging part of the hunt actually and sorry circling back to your question earlier on what i would have told myself my older self is uh to put that ego away mm. um and the interesting thing and the reason why i just chuckled there and saying it's the lesson that keeps on giving because it's one thing being aware of your ego but you have to know that or i realized being aware of my ego doesn't make me better than the person who isn't aware of their ego in fact, now that I am aware of my ego, ironically, it's just made me realize how silly I am, but I'm still stuck with his ego. <laughs> and so now the hardest part is overcoming that. And in hunting, it's, it's, it's kind of put on a pedestal because it, it's also extremely male dominant. And, you know, we're hiking into the woods with guns and it does stimulate, you know, that what's that word testosterone male ego driven yeah hoorah and, and then and then more importantly the women who come into it we have something to prove or we feel like there's something to prove so it's just disaster all around and lots of strong personalities and feelings are being hurt and so that was that's i think that's one of the hardest things for me when it comes to hunting yeah i was talking to a friend of mine and She's been hunting for a while and the term huntress came up and we, we were discussing that one. And she has some very strong opinions on the use of the word huntress. And she says, look, you're, you're a hunter or you're not. Gender shouldn't equate into it. And yeah. I think particularly for new people getting into hunting, where they're looking to learn about hunting is going to be online or social media. And when you brought up the idea of ego previously and we talked about it i i had a different thought on it because a lot of people that i know that hunt don't have any ego involved with it but the generation of hunters that are coming in that are learning from 
YouTube or Instagram or some sort of social media, if they're seeing it pop up on their feed, it's because it's something that's popular with other people to look at. If it's popular for them to look at, it's probably because it portrays a certain image of hunting, whether that's women showing more skin or dressing provocatively or men doing things that are more risky or taking only large game. And it creates, in my opinion anyways, it creates a false image of what hunting really is, or at least what hunting is to me. But it yeah. also will create that ego-driven type of person to get into hunting. So you're saying that was something that you kind of veered down that path to begin with, but quickly learned that wasn't for you? Yeah, for sure. I'm just going to, Travis, before yeah. I, I kind of talk to that and remind me, because yes. but I want to go back to that huntress comment and throw okay. down a challenge. Now, okay. I don't need to challenge this this person directly, okay. but I'm gonna challenge her defense against the word huntress is also ego because she doesn't wanna be separated. But really the word huntress and hunter, just like actor and actress, is just the way the English language is split up. Just ah. like how in French you have female male. Sure. So yeah. really there's no argument around it. It's just a politeness way to address people. It's really perspective. You know, and, and the that's... only reason why it causes infuriation is because we don't want to be separated. But then again, that's just your ego. When when it invokes that feeling of how dare you, that is usually just the ego talking. But if you take all that away, it's really just a polite way to call to address a woman who hunts. Ah, I'm gonna pass that one over to her <laughs> and let her know. I think uh, I think from her perspective, and I can't put myself in her shoes, but I think it was the the idea or image of rather than the word itself. But uh, you raise a very very valid point. And for sure, for anyone and to get worked up on one side or the other would there's no need. Yeah, there's no need. I like that. And speaking to that point, it, I guess it's kind of it's a it's a negotiation tactic where you really diffuse it and kind of show people that, hey, there is no arguments over it. There's no need. Mm. And, and, and try to find the original truth, which was a polite way to just address a woman who hunts. That's it. I like that. We're being polite. Going back to your question that you just asked earlier, I, I did veer down that path. It started off very innocently with my love for food and wanting to try wild game and not knowing where to get it. I didn't know it was illegal to sell it. I didn't know how to I, I'm, I didn't know anything about hunting, so it was very innocent. And then I kind of got sucked down the, the trap of trying to monetize it. And uh, once again, that also started innocently because I wanted to work in a career that was liberating. And I said, oh, well, I hunt and why don't I try to monetize this? And I got kind of sucked down the path of well, if I, if I have to monetize it, then I have to have the best of the best. And then it kind of went into, well, if I have the best of the best, I, I actually have to kill something or else I'm going to look like an idiot. <laughs> and there was so much pressure. I, I remember at one point in my second spring bear season, so that was just last spring bear season, I, I started off really big. I flew to Vancouver Island and I was about... 30, 50 yards away from the biggest black bear I've ever seen. I remember creeping over a, a, a grassy road, overgrown road, and I saw this darkness. And I was like, what is that? And I dropped 
crept over. I realized I was looking at this giant hare's ass. It was huge. <laughs> and then I was, it was my turn to shoot. We were determined that. And just when I was about to look into the scope, Buddy chambered a shot because we were so close to the bear. We thought there was a chance we could get charged. And the bear heard that change of sound and it freaked, spooked and ran into the woods. But the rest of my season, I let so many bears pass because I was obsessed. I had painted this story of me shooting this huge seven foot bear and that's all I wanted. And guess what? I ended um, that spring with no meat in my freezer and I was actually depressed. It was insane, but I, I didn't, I was depressed. I was so hard on myself for not shooting something and not having this awesome story to share on social media and to tell and brag about to my friends. And I actually, and I had to work through a lot of my emotions and my ego and, and I was too prideful. And even I volunteer at the BHA, as you mentioned earlier, and it was embarrassing for me to even stand up and talk to the crowd. And that's how hung up I was. And you look at me going, it's your second year in hunting, like chill out. But that's how you get caught up into things. And then uh, I, I drew uh, the tag for the goat that I went on last year. And I, for some reason, searched up the meaning of a goat because I was trying to write a story from my failures of bear hunting. And the meaning, the spiritual meaning, one of the spiritual meanings of a goat is to let go of one loss for, for a greater purpose. Huh. And that actually gave me some sense of peace to actually get over and dig myself out of that funk. But it was just insane how one could go into that spiraling path of getting sucked into hunting. And I lost my true reason was to explore, was to be wild, was to eat wild. And I forgot all that. No kidding. And so when you say you wanted to, you're looking at monetizing that, would that, that have been through social media, would it? Yeah. So I, I sell software and I specialize in digital marketing and being a consultant around the digital marketing world and how to make money from that. And one of the ways I thought about was just things like affiliate links on my Y website, talking about gear because I went down that nutshell with gear mm. and now I could care less yes. <laughs> what I'm wearing. It's, it's crazy how you do just a 360. Um, Cause I was passionate about making sure people didn't spend money in the wrong ways. And I, I did want it to help with that, but it's not in me to, to just follow through. I, the thing with me as I learned very early on i can't just chase the money anymore and so i dropped that real real quick and instead turned chasing food club just into a positive community that i can contribute to the world of hunting and the world of wildlife conservation instead and try to put some good up there good for you you know you talk about the idea of chasing money and i've always been of the mindset that if you make money your objective if you are always looking at money as the end goal you're always going to be chasing it. You're always going to be behind yeah. it. But if you make delivering a quality product, making it enjoyable, something that people want to consume or be a part of, you'll enjoy yourself and money will be a natural byproduct of your hard work and what you're doing. And it's funny how that works. It's like the kid in high school who tries so hard to be popular, who will never be popular. But the people who just kind of let go and do what they're going to do and everybody gravitates towards them because they're interesting and they become popular. Yeah. 
And I, I think, you know, a lot of people ask like, uh, how do I, how do I, you know, well, good for you, Jenny, you figured out you like to write and, and now you're doing all these things that you love. That's very intimidating to find your purpose. And I think Travis, you kind of hit it head on is just start chasing the little things you're genuinely curious about being that genuine person and, and, and having a greater purpose than just finance. And, but, and then the passion will come, like it will lead, but starting to really be honest with yourself and chase things that you are curious about and delivering something that is extremely service-minded. Yes. Now, speaking about things that you're extremely curious about, your latest Instagram post, it's kind of curious. <laughs> there's there's a delicacy I can't say I've ever had before. These really? Are, I'm, we're talking about goat balls. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to crack the code on goat balls, I take it. Yeah, so... My, my goat hunt was a success. Yes. And I decided to save the testicles. I mean, in the restaurant industry, it's it's a very common dish. It's usually just bread and deep fried it, and most folks don't even know that's what they're eating. Sure. I, I forgot what the technical restaurant term is when you put it on a menu. They don't say testicles. They say something else. I've heard of Do prairie you know oysters is? before. Yeah, that might be it as well, too. So they usually disguise it and it tastes like popcorn chicken and no one notices. Okay. So I tried to give it a whirl, but it was tough as nails. And I thought I listened to everybody's advice and I peeled off the first membrane, but apparently there's a second one <laughs> or a third one. And, uh, but you know, and it, and the taste was strong, okay. <laughs> maybe because I had frozen it and thawed it and it was sitting in its own juices, but it doesn't discourage me. I'm Vietnamese and in our culture, we eat the strangest things. Sure. Like I have this craving for pig stomach soup pepper soup. Sure. Yeah. And actually taking a page from that stomach pepper soup I had when I was younger, I remember my mom like cooking the crap out of that thing because she would be boiling it, scrubbing it in salt, poaching it for hours in a salt broth and then cooking it for the fourth, fifth time. And then it would be tender and tasty and wouldn't have that funk. So I'm ready to uh, try round two of this. I know Dylan Ayer says he has some elk testes for that. me to experiment with. So we'll see. I'm excited. I'm not defeated. And, and uh, Travis, I might be knocking on your door with a little uh, a little dish for you to try. <laughs> not a problem. I'll give him a try. <laughs> you make them, you vouch for them. I'll give him a try. All right. I, will, I won't give you my, my errors. I promise when I perfect it, I'll come knocking on your door. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. So... Chasing Food Club, beautiful website, by the way. You've got great pictures on there. You've got great write-ups. It's documenting your journey through hunting and as you progress. Where do you see Chasing Food Club moving? Is that something that you will just kind of keep on the side and, and continue documenting, kind of like your own journal that's out there for the public? Yeah, um, it's... I just want to be transparent. I'm not trying to make any money off it right now or anything of that sort. Although I do believe that you should always turn your passion in, into a job if you can. I think that's everybody's end goal. For me right now, it's truly a creative outlet. I'm exploring things in filming, editing, writing, and being creative. And I've never met, felt so free in my life. And I ended up going back to working in software, like you mentioned earlier. But it's a job that actually puts me in an industry to show me how to 
edit film and, and, and be creative. So it all kind of aligns and I couldn't be more happier right now. And I think the goal, I have some ideas of chasing food of turning it into a community, a charity to kind of give back to wildlife conservation. Uh, I'm not too sure how yet, but right now it's just for fun. It's an opportunity for me to write any stories to anybody that wants to hear them and share my quirky little recipes. I donate most of these stories and recipes to nonprofit organizations that need something to publish on their blog and their magazines and things that sort. So um, it's just kind of putting a positive word out there and, and more diversity out there and different perspectives that might be not rub everybody the same way, but hopefully open up people's minds to be more open-minded. For example, somebody gave me a chunk of seal recently. It was killed by an elder from their tribe. And so they asked if I could talk more about it and spread a more positive image about seal hunting and why it happens and um, how it tastes and things that sort. So that's my next thing I'm working on and I'm very excited. Oh, very cool. So you live in Vancouver and your passion is the wilderness, being outside. Do you envision yourself continuing to live in the urban area for into the future or do you have aspirations to kind of go out a little bit more remote? That's a great question. That keeps changing. Yeah, okay. And I think we have the same goals because I was talking to Tiffany and I think I think you and me are kindred spirits because I would, I'm torn between somewhere in the lake. Yes. You know, um, more west. But then I also really want oceanfront. Yes. But I also need some city life. Uh, hunting is probably a, a huge part of my life because there's so much to learn. It's constantly challenging and I'm easily bored. And this just keeps, you know, beating me back down each time I think I've gotten somewhere. <laughs> so I don't think that that, that passion is going anywhere anytime soon. But you know what? I think as of right now, I've decided I'd love a city apartment and I'd love a cabin somewhere that maybe we I can turn into a retreat for those that just need to escape somewhere. Mm. And I have my eye on Haida Gwaii because it's beautiful. I'd love, I'd love to have good property <laughs> on Haida Gwaii. And, and things of that sort. But it keeps going back and forth, back and forth. But th that's kind of where I stand. I actually live in the city and I still don't own a car because it costs ridiculously to live comfortably in the city. But I think, I hope my testimony to, it shows to people that, hey, no matter what you're curious about, it's not, it's never too daunting. Just make sure your motivations are pure and you can do it. Like I will put my life on the line by saying that statement. And the key is making sure your motivation's pure. And it, it's not financially driven. It's not ego driven and that this is truly for you. I like that. I'm looking forward to trying some of your food. What is... <laughs> Balls aside, what's your favorite wild game dish currently? My favorite wild game dish currently. So I've been trying to kind of merge more of my Canadian Vietnamese heritage. And I've also come to realize that when you are using the herbs and spices in Vietnamese cooking, and some of that is it's a lot of garlic, chili, and lemongrass and fish sauce. Love it those pungent flavors and and lemon juice so acidic pungent flavors really break down wild game very well and makes it a great introduction for those that don't maybe like are not adjusted or to all the different types of game out there and there are different unique tastes 
And so my favorite way, and I send this marinade to everybody, it's a basic lemongrass marinade and you can put any cut of meat, even your ruddiest deer or your toughest bear chops, you put it on low and slow, then you sear it and you get all these fragrance, that, that lemony from the lemongrass, the garlic, the chili, the fish sauce, the, sugar, the caramelization of the sugars. And you can do that on the barbecue as well now that it's getting warmer outside. And that's my new favorite thing. And I know everybody goes, yeah, yeah, I've had lemongrass chicken from the restaurant. But uh, uh, the restaurant's going to skimp out on a lot of things because, you know, they have to make money. Margins have to be high. Right. So I'm going to I'm going to publish that recipe soon on my blog. But it's just a great way to uh, eat wild game. I'm going to look for that recipe and I'll cook that up. I'm really looking forward to that one. Within your role with BHA, there's a lot of urban hunters. What are the biggest challenges that you see facing hunters? I guess COVID aside. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I don't see any new challenges for this generation of hunters going forward. In fact, I see hope. I think a lot of young minds are stepping into hunting. It's becoming, at least in the city, more openly talked about. I hear it everywhere in every corner of everybody getting curious, getting excited. And a lot of the old school hunters are like, Jenny, stop promoting hunting to to city folks. We don't need any more folks (laughs) in the woods. And you know what? It's funny and we joke around about with that and i'm laughing as well too but the reality of it is you know a lot of the older hunters are retiring Mm. and a lot of older hunters they're stepping down from their roles in wildlife conservation and board of directors and their voices and new voices are stepping up that are more open-minded that have the creativity and the time to kind of really spread awareness of hunting and spread awareness of how big of a role it is that we have to play in wildlife management. And so I'm actually, I don't see much challenges than what we already go through, but I'm very excited to see what's gonna happen in 10 years in BC and how our wildlife conservation budgets are gonna change and how the rules are gonna change because they are gonna change. And I know for those that are in the game for a long time, they feel hopeless and defeated and they kind of gave up on trying to make changes in our industry, but it's about patience and we're always learning, we're always evolving. And so I'm very, very excited. So tell me about BHA. You are the regional director for the BC chapter? No, so uh, we have a chair. Okay. To kind of explain this, backcountry hunters and anglers, we started in the States. BC was the first chapter. And we have a chair and a co-chair, that's Alan and of course, Bill Hannon, you might have heard on, I know a couple of folks who listen to a, other, a few other hunting podcasts might have heard those names being thrown around and there are fearless leaders who started the first Canadian chapter in BC. Now we each have, we have leaders in each of the regions as well too. And in region two, we are led by Mark and Mark, forgive me for butchering your last name, Robin Chisson. <laughs> <laughs> and I know I said that wrong. And we have a co-chair named Chris Prime. And there are fearless leaders in region two. And I don't actually have a title of sorts. I'm kind of in charge of diversity and growth and some of the marketing and things that sorts. We're a pretty flat organization. We help each other out. I'm kind of like the, you know what, if I had to give myself a title, maybe an events coordinator, 
but we have our hands everywhere. I think a lot of people see the BHA name and they think this we're huge in BC because of what they've done in the States. I think we have 40,000 members in North America total and about a thousand of them are in BC. And it's in BC, it's all volunteer base. Okay. So it's every hardworking person between hunting season, their full jobs, their family, their kids, we contribute one or two hours a week, one or two hours a month. So it, it's all volunteer based. So I just want to apologize for anybody who signed up and still didn't get their subscription in the mail. It's been two months. It's coming. <laughs> we're volunteer based and we're working on it to be faster. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's my role in that community. And I guess bringing different perspectives too, because I do live in the city and I'm, and I'm new to it and I'm, and I'm not afraid to throw down some challenging ideas here and there and try to get our message forward. Well, I'm going to throw some links for BHA in the podcast and on the YouTube version of this. And so people can learn more about it, see what they can do if they wanted to become involved. So I'll, I'll definitely get that out. Is there anything else that we should be touching on? I'm curious what you kind of learned, because I don't know how you've kept it on. So your head on so straight being in this industry and kind of working with everybody, having the best gear and equipment at your fingertips. And I, I'm curious what, so how you've not, you've noticed the Eagles in hunting and what some of the lessons you've learned yourself or what you've seen and you've taken away from. So I, I'm very curious about that. On the ego side of things, I, I do my best to try and steer clear of that. Now, everyone's naturally going to have some form of ego. And I find in the industry, it is male dominated. There are obviously running a training company. Instructors and teachers tend to carry with them a fair bit of ego. And if firearms are involved, particularly in Canada, in the States, it's a different story. Everyone, everybody and their grandma has a firearm, but in Canada, people seem to look at it like they're a pretty special person if they own a firearm. I don't know if it's because of the rigmarole that people have to go through in order to own one, but it seems to add just another layer of ego. So having a bit of ego, I think is healthy if directed in the right way. What we try and do is surround ourselves with people who have the right ego, if if that makes sense. Essentially, the desire to be able to relay the information to somebody else with the end goal of the student learning something, the student taking away more than what they had before, as opposed to surrounding ourselves with instructors who just want to be heard, just want to have their voice out there. and. It can be a difficult task, but I think we've been doing a good job of surrounding ourselves with those people. And over the years, there's always ups and downs. But, and I guess the other side you're talking about when it comes to kit, like I like kit. There's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I do like things and being in the industry, I'm fortunate that I can get my hands on a lot of neat kit and it's either gonna be inexpensive or or no cost at all. But that said, I think, I don't know if uh, we, we did a thing with Meat Eater a year or so ago, and we did a they did a crabbing episode, and I uh, went out with April Voki and my wife, and we showed how to catch Dungeness crabs. And April, of course, is an avid angler, world renowned in in her craft, 
and had always caught crabs by putting traps out. And then you have to watch them and try and make sure that nobody thieves your crabs or thieves your crab traps. And there I am out there with an Ikea bag and a tennis racket and some hose clamps and, you know, nothing that looks Gucci. We've, we can go out and get all the cool kit, but I really enjoy being able to harvest food as economically and easily as possible. I, I, I like I like the idea of not blowing the bank in order to come back with, not spending $2 in order to get $1 worth of meat. I guess on the ego side as well, now you got me going. So on, on the ego side as well, I'm new to the social media scene. For a long time, I hid. I had no Facebook account. I just recently set up an Instagram account, I think within the last year here. I'm brand- Yeah, and now you're hooked. And it, I'm here to tell you it's okay. You'll calm down. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm learning. You'll soothe yourself out. That's right. Just kidding. I, I am learning. I'm, I'm learning the, uh, the process of, of going through that. But the people that I tend to be drawn to the most as I watch these things are the people who aren't out there flashing all the all the fancy kit or bragging it up. It's the people who are just genuinely enjoying their life regardless of what kit they're using, regardless of the type of animal that they've harvested. That, I guess it's the passion that they bring. It's contagious more than anything else. And I find that positivity that is conveyed, whether it's genuine or not, that positivity that surrounds it to be the most attractive thing that somebody can associate with. So that was a bit of a tangent. No, for sure. That I think that makes it a lot more relatable because sometimes, you know, we're talking about ego and people go, yeah, what does that have to, How you know, for the listeners at home, they're like, how does that relate to me? I just want to go out and shoot big shit. Leave me alone. <laughs> And I think what to making it even more relatable on on their experience is kind of going off of that is not to look at social media and get up, get caught up with these expectations, but just remember why you're out there originally is to have a genuinely good time for yourself and nobody else. Right. But also when it comes to ego is say if you're going out with somebody and having an honest conversation with them of going, hey, I don't want to climb up that mountain that looks that looks scary. I feel I don't feel safe. Mm. And removing your ego from that and not being afraid to admit that you're scared because you're, you're going to find yourself in some situations that are extremely unsafe and scary. Mm-hmm. And putting that ego aside and speaking up or speaking up to your friend who's not being exactly gun safe and is waving around his rifle like it's a right. <laughs> it's a baton right. of not being of just speaking up and going, hey, that I don't feel safe when you do that. Instead of trying to be cool and go, no, I can ride with my gun and in the front seat with it loaded, no problem. And not being afraid to speak up. So I think, I, I hope that makes it more relatable to, to folks listening. Yeah, good points. Yeah, that takes a, a very different perspective than when I first heard you talking about that. And you never did get the airtime that I was hoping for. So that's, uh, I'm glad that you've had the opportunity to say that. Well, yeah, thank you. I, I think it's just, like I said, hunting and being outdoors is a gift that hasn't stopped gifting to me and helping me learn and build character for myself as a person and getting the confidence uh, to kind of speak up and and say exactly what's on my mind and and in the most respectable manner and learning how to respect myself, I think is important and, and really speaking up there 
And having difficult conversations that are going to help guide me through other life difficult conversations and telling somebody, hey, I don't want to go hunting with you because, you know, I didn't feel safe with you or I didn't want to go or I, I don't want to go hunting with you because this is something I want to do on my own and not worrying about that person's feelings or how to say it in a way that makes it okay instead of tolerating them in the woods when you didn't want to be there anyways. So, <laughs> and, and, that, and that all really comes down to ego because we're too prideful, too scared and things of that sort. So, yeah. Have you had to have those conversations before? Oh, it's, it's never ending. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not taking offense when somebody doesn't want to go hunting with you. You know, it's not always about you. It's about them too. And, and trying to see it both ways and, and seeing the positive, you know, when someone says no to you, it's kind of like, wow, that was probably so much harder for them than it was for me. And seeing it, trying to see things from their perspective as well, too. So it's been a very humbling experience. I like that. Well, Jenny, thank you very much for being on the podcast here. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I just really want to thank you for this opportunity because I, you know, I really value the lessons that nature has taught me. And I hope it, it kind of reminds folks before they head off into spring season, you know, to really go out there and, and do it for them and only themselves and really enjoy the moment and uh, just have fun out there. And just a little side note, actually, I couldn't believe how much, how fast Silver Core reacted when everybody was quarantined at home. And I noticed all this online courses that you're trying to develop for everybody. And I just want to thank you for that. Not only that, but all the giveaways you're doing to kind of lift everybody's spirits during these times. It's not fun being inside alone. And so, Travis, I want to say thank you for everything you do for us. Well, thank you very, I'm not used to being thanked back, but thank you very much, Jenny. I appreciate that. <laughs> And that concludes this episode of the Silver Core Podcast. Thank you for listening.